Welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I'm Jennifer, and this is episode 161. Guys, it was an eventful, eye-opening week. And I will tell you all about it in just a moment. TV podcast recommendations. No new podcasts again this week. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm just not finding any new ones. I did start a couple of new shows, both on Hulu. The first is called Death and Other Details. It stars Mandy Patinkin as Rufus Coatsworth, a.k.a. the world's greatest detective. The premise, according to Wikipedia, is Rufus finds himself on a luxury cruise liner when a locked room murder occurs, and it's up to Rufus to figure out which one of the rich guests is actually a murderer. I like it. It it takes place in modern times, you know, because like the one of the characters is like a TikTok influencer, you know, so you know it's happening in modern times. But you can't tell from the look of it because like the, the fashion and the hairstyles and, you know, even kind of the way they speak all feels like it's out of like a 1950s Agatha Christie story. I, I like I said, I like it. I'm four episodes in. I think there'll be a total of 10 and new episodes come out weekly. And... I also started watching Capote versus the Swans. And I say this reluctantly, but so far, I like it. But you all also know how I feel about Ryan Murphy's series. I'm giving this one a chance because I was already familiar with this story years ago. I think it was a I read a story about it a long time ago, and I'm I'm almost positive it was an article in Vanity Fair. So I'm I was familiar with what happened between Truman Capote and this group of New York City socialites, and I knew it was a good story. So I figured, you know, you can't really make a wrong turn with this one, but Ryan Murphy has disappointed me before, so we'll see. I'm two episodes in. I think there'll be eight episodes total, so six episodes for it to make a wrong turn. That's not good odds, but the cast is so good that, at least for me, it's keeping hope alive. And if anyone is wondering about Clerk of Court, Becky Hill, I do finally have an update. Remember, Becky was the clerk of court for the Alec Murdoch murder trial. Uh, She's the one who, after the trial was over, was accused of jury tampering by several members of the jury. So last week, there was a trial held uh, where a specially assigned justice um, presided over it, and she, like, interviewed all the members of the jury, you know, they had to like give their testimony. And it was basically all to see if they could find that the jury was swayed by anything Miss Becky Hill did, which would mean that Alec would likely get a new murder trial. So 
you know, the each juror had to come back to court. They each had to sit, you know, on the stand and be a witness and give their statement. And all 12 of them did that. Uh, the two alternates did not have to because they were not part of the um, uh, verdict process. So only one of the 12 said that they had been influenced by things that they had heard Becky say during the trial. And then Becky herself took the stand and lied through her teeth. She denied every single accusation made against her and contradicted herself several times on the stand. This woman, I mean, this woman is something else. And the judge pretty much said that when she gave her decision. Justice Toll said, quote, I find that the clerk of court is not completely credible as a witness, end quote, and that Becky was, quote, Attracted by the siren call of celebrity, end quote. I mean, Justice Toll put it a little nicer than I would have, but I agree. Justice Toll said, ultimately, the evidence and statements given by the jury showed that despite Becky's actions, the jury had not been influenced and therefore no new trial for Alec. Now, of course, his team is going to appeal this, but it likely will not go any further. But unfortunately, this is not the end of the troubles for Miss Becky. Uh, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, or SLED as you may have heard it called, stated that they have two open investigations into Hill. One regarding her alleged interactions with the jury and the state versus Alec Murdaugh, and two regarding allegations she used her elected position for personal gain. And don't forget about the wiretapping charges against her son, which she may or may not also be involved in. Becky is an elected official, so yes, she still has her job, mostly because there doesn't seem to be a process in place to fire an elected court official in South Carolina, but this is the last year of her appointment. She would have to be reelected for another four years in November, and she claims she won't be running for reelection, which honestly, I would not be shocked at all to see her run for reelection, but we'll see. Okay, now that you're all caught up, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. So, Like I said in my opening, it was an eventful week. Actually, let me start from the beginning because what happened this week was really just a culmination of past events. Now, you guys already know the changes I've made in my diet going back to like mid-2022. A few weeks ago, I'd say... "Mm, maybe three, four weeks ago, something like that, I started getting heartburn. Sometimes it was severe. Sometimes it was just like annoying. One time I got it while I was out on my walk and I actually had to cut my walk short just so I could get home and take some Tums. After that, I made sure I carried Tums with me wherever I went. 
A couple of times, Tums didn't really cut it, so then I switched to Alka-Seltzer, and usually within about, about ten minutes, I was fine. Until Wednesday of last week. On that day, I had such a quick and strong onset of heartburn, it actually broke me out into cold sweat. I felt like someone had lit my esophagus on fire. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, this must be what acid reflux feels like. Like This hurts. This sucks. I, I don't know how anybody deals with this. I was dizzy. I got blurred vision. I was nauseated. I was sweating and freezing all at the same time. And it was coming in waves. But the good news was that each wave was less intense. So I was able to just sort of, you know, ride them out, knowing that eventually it would end. You know, I was like taking Tums. I drank some baking soda and water, like pretty much anything to just kind of alleviate and, and get myself through these waves quicker. After about, I think, two hours or so, it was completely gone. I mean, I, I felt terrible afterwards, but at least I wasn't in pain. At least my esophagus wasn't still on fire. I was lightheaded and weak. And I sent a message to my boss saying, you know, I'm not feeling well. I'm, you know, I'm going to call off for the rest of the day. And she was totally fine with that. And I, you know, after I stopped feeling so, uh, the pain sort of went away. I rested for a little while. Eventually I was able to eat dinner. And by the time I went to bed, I really wasn't even thinking about it anymore until around 3 a.m. when the intense pain returned and woke me up out of a dead sleep. And I got up and I was, you know, walking around and, you know, just kind of waiting for the pain to pass. And I realized that walking around helped. So I just continued to walk around. And finally, after maybe an hour of pacing around my apartment, I thought, I wonder if I should go to immediate care. I was thinking, if this is acid reflux, I'm probably going to need a prescription. And so I got on my laptop and I googled immediate care and saw that they didn't open for several more hours. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I felt I shouldn't wait. And then I looked up ERs near me and saw that just down the road from me, about four miles away, was a hospital, you know, just open 24-7. And without even giving it a second thought, I got in my car and drove to the hospital. And it was there that I found out that I didn't have heartburn or even acid reflux. What I had was a, quote, cardiac incident. In a very short amount of time, I was taken to the cath lab for a cardiac catheterization where my blockage was cleared and two stents were placed into the front left artery of my heart. 
it was a relatively minor procedure for a relatively major medical event. In fact, if they didn't need to monitor you for 24 hours after, it could probably be an outpatient procedure. I wasn't going to talk about this yet, or at all. I actually plan to take this week off to just rest. Maybe you've noticed that I haven't actually said my diagnosis. I only talked about how it was treated. And that's because my diagnosis, when you use its common name, is provocative and more than a little scary, especially for me. So I'll just refer to it in its clinical term, which is myocardial infarction, and not its more commonly used colloquialism. When I told sister number three that I didn't know if I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, she said she thought it would help for people to hear about what happened to me. And I agreed. I also think it'll help me too because it has actually been more of an emotional adjustment than a physical one. Physically, I'm doing okay, all things considered. I'm slowly getting my stamina back. I still can't do a bunch of trips up and down the stairs, but I can shower, I can get ready, I went shopping yesterday, I can prepare meals for myself, I even did laundry today. Really, the only thing I can't do, at least for the next couple of weeks, is lift anything with my right arm heavier than five pounds or about the weight of a gallon of milk. And I can't vacuum or mop because that push-pull motion somehow isn't good. But other than that, I'm doing okay. I haven't gotten back on the treadmill yet because, truth be told, I'm a little scared, but... I know I just have to take it slow and build back up to where I was. I'm not going to downplay it, as is my usual tendency. This was very scary. It is scary to have seven ER doctors and nurses all buzzing around you at once, asking questions, hooking up equipment, exactly like what you see on TV. You can't focus on anything because it's all happening so fast. And you're trying to answer questions, but also you're trying to listen to what they're saying to each other so you can figure out just what is happening. All the while, they're hooking up IVs and leads and you have stickers all over you and wires and tubes everywhere. And you're trying to remember if at least, please God, you remembered to put on decent underwear because when you focus on your underwear, you don't have to face what's actually happening. And then suddenly, it all stops. Just long enough for someone to explain what's happening and what they're going to do about it. And before you can process any of it, they start shoving forms at you. Insurance forms, consent forms, DNRs. And you're hearing what they're saying, but you're not really because your head is still stuck on that part that they said where you might have to have open heart surgery so that when they're finally wheeling you in for a procedure, the look on your face must be so scared and confused that the male nurse who looks like he's about 15 years old says to you, 
it's going to be fine. Oh, hey, by the way, did we remember to get your emergency contact information? <sighs> and all I can think is, please, God, please don't let my sister have to hear about this from a stranger. And then they start the procedure, and in about 20 minutes, it's over. The pain is gone. The blockage has been cleared, and two stents have been placed. I got to the hospital around 5 a.m. By 7 a.m., I was in recovery. And the following day, I was discharged. Last week, I wasn't on any prescribed medication. Now, I'm on four. Last week, the only time I had been in the hospital overnight for a medical procedure was when I was four and got my tonsils out. Last week, I didn't have a primary doctor. It was something I had been meaning to get around to, but since I thought I was doing okay physically, I wasn't in that much of a hurry to do it. I also didn't have a new cardiologist that I have to now follow up with, or a nutritionist that I'm also going to have to meet with. And I had never even heard of cardio rehab, which I may need depending on how much damage was done to my heart and how I'm recovering. I've made the decision to talk about all this for two reasons. The first reason is to hopefully help anyone listening who might be experiencing the same symptoms. I didn't think anything I was feeling was cause for alarm. I had changed my diet more than a year ago, and I've been exercising on a regular basis for quite a while now. I've lost weight, I've gotten physically stronger, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. What I had was a few weeks of what I thought was heartburn. But looking back, that should have been an indicator because I don't get heartburn and nothing in my diet had changed that would have suddenly caused it. According to the American Heart Association, the physical symptoms that a woman has are far less pronounced and dramatic than a man has. Shocking, I know. Many women, just like me, think it's heartburn or acid reflux. Some think they might be getting a cold or maybe even the flu. Symptoms range, and because they can be subtle or attributed to so many other possible things, most women will just write them off. Symptoms include a heavy feeling in the lungs that sort of comes and goes, pain or tingling in the arms, neck, jaw, or stomach. Occasional bouts of shortness of breath, nausea, feeling lightheaded or dizzy. Looking back over the last few weeks, I was experiencing many of those symptoms. But because they would come and go, or I was able to alleviate them with either Tums or Alka-Seltzer, it never occurred to me that it could be something more serious. After I was in recovery, I talked to the uh, cardiology nurse about what exactly I had done to myself that got me to that point. I told her how good I've been with my diet and how I've been exercising and how I couldn't believe that despite all that I had been doing, I had still ended up there. 
And she said, it's 50% genetics and 50% lifestyle. Now the genetics part, I already knew, right? My mom has high blood pressure and her family has a history of heart disease. My dad had a heart attack, stroke, cancer, all of which could be attribute, attributed to his lifestyle. But the fact that my dad had his heart attack before the age of 60 increased the odds for me. And that was something that I didn't know, had never been told that by any of the doctors that I had seen who knew my medical history and my family's medical history. So, okay, that's my genetics, but my lifestyle? I'm actually doing better now than I have in a long time. Except for one thing, cigarettes. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time here because believe me, I love smoking. I have been a smoker for more years than I have been a non-smoker. I have failed at quitting more times than I can remember. But more than any other factor, smoking was the single largest contributor to my cardiac issues. And I am not here to preach to you on the virtues of quitting smoking. That's a personal decision that everyone has to make for themselves when or if they're ready. For me, the choice is simple. Quit smoking, get a, get a healthier heart. Today is day four without a cigarette. And so far, so good. But if you are so inclined, please say a prayer for me. I've been here before and I know how hard it is to quit. After being in the hospital for about 36 hours, I was sent home with my discharge papers and follow-up instructions, which included all the phone numbers for appointments I'm going to have to make in the coming weeks. And that brings me to the second reason I decided to talk about all of this. My discharge instructions were all concrete things. Do this, call them, take this. No one prepared me for the emotional and psychological effect of going through a very scary medical emergency has on you. I drove myself to the hospital, so I was able to drive myself home. I had to go to the pharmacy first to pick up my prescriptions, and while I waited, I even did a little shopping. Everything felt normal, but not. The world hadn't changed but I had. I knew I had gone through something significant, but around me, things continued as usual. It wasn't until I got home and I walked through the door and saw my cats that I finally collapsed. I burst into tears. I just sat in my entryway on the floor for like 20 minutes and just cried my eyes out, all the while holding my cats. It wasn't until then that it hit me how close I had come to never coming home again. Even now when I think about it, yes, it makes me sad, but more than anything, it makes me angry at myself. What would have happened to my cats? Not to mention all the people in my life whom I love so much. I was living my life so careless and clueless 
not thinking about the responsibility I have to the things and the people in my life who depend on me. The emotional effects in the aftermath of going through a medical emergency are very real, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that. No one from the hospital talked to me about it, you know, that that what I might be feeling emotionally and psychologically, they just focused on the physical. And I guess I understand that, but a little heads up would have been nice. Instead, I went through feeling scared, lonely, anxious, angry, and alone, not realizing that everything I was feeling was completely normal. That first night, being home alone was terrifying. I was exhausted because no one gets good sleep in the hospital, but I was so scared to fall asleep because I didn't know if I would wake up. Looking back, I know that's ridiculous because if that was even a slight possibility, they never would have released me from the hospital, but my emotions were in overdrive. I still don't know the extent of the damage I did to my heart. I'll find that out when I do the follow-up with the cardiologist, but each day I do feel a little better and I'm able to do a little more, even though it's only been a few days. Like I said, yesterday I went food shopping and Today, I did laundry and meal prep. My family, of course, has been amazing. It's been difficult because we're spread across the country, and I know that they're worried about me, but this is not easy to talk about, not with them. It makes it too real, and it's just, it's too much to handle right now. The night I got home, I did speak to sister number three, and I was able to tell her what happened to me physically, but as soon as I started to talk about the emotional side of it, I lost it. The only reason I'm able to talk about it now is because I'm basically just sitting in a closet talking to myself. And JJ has been a huge help through all of this, because he's already gone through it. And knowing that... He was the first person I told when I got into recovery. He was worried about me, of course, but he was also practical, which is exactly what I needed at that time. I was still so freaked out, I couldn't deal with anyone else's emotions. It would have just been too overwhelming. And later that day, I did eventually send a text to the family group chat to let them know what was going on with me. The morning after I got home, I woke up so relieved that I had made it through the night. And I sent another text to the family group chat to let them know I was okay. And then I sent a text to JJ saying, physically I felt okay, but emotionally I was still processing. I kept thinking about how I almost didn't go to the hospital. How I waited until the next morning and then paced around my apartment for two hours before I finally just got in my car and went. If I hadn't gone, it would have been just a matter of time before I died, and not a long matter of time, probably days, according to the cardiologist.
And then JJ gave me the pep talk I needed. He said, what happened to me was a blessing. It gave me an advantage because most people our age have blockages and have no idea. And by the time they find out, it's too late. He said what I got was a wake-up call that also brings knowledge and awareness. He reminded me that I've already made some healthy changes, so life post-cardiac incident won't look that different, aside from quitting smoking, of course. And all, and he, he said that all the stuff that I have been doing, I was doing that with a 100% blockage in one of my arteries, so just think of what I'll be able to do now. Later that day, I was scrolling Facebook and I saw that on the very day I was having some pretty severe medical issues, I had posted a meme that basically said that although it took me a long time to get here, even on my bad days, I'm still in the best place I've ever been. And I thought, huh, well, that's interesting timing. <laughs> but the more I thought about it and thought about everything that JJ had said, I realized it was still true. It was true on the day I posted it, and it's still true today. I'm still in the best place I have ever been. What I went through was painful and very scary. And between you and me, still freaks me out a lot. But it was also a blessing. I was given a second chance and a glimpse into my future if I don't make some real changes. And the truth is, not everybody gets that. So even though I wouldn't wish for anyone to go through what I went through, I am so grateful to have gone through it. Because it was going to happen. The blockage was real. And... It could have happened in so many ways, which would not have been great for me. But instead, it kind of almost ended up in a best case scenario. I got to the hospital in time. Thank God. Speaking of, please don't be like me. If you're ever on the fence about whether you should take yourself to the hospital, please, please just go. The worst thing that could happen is they tell you it's nothing and send you home. Oh, and if you can help it, you, you probably shouldn't drive yourself. I mean, in my defense, it was 4 a.m. and the hospital is less than 10 minutes away. But still, still, it was irresponsible. What if something had happened on the way to the hospital and I caused an accident? It was dumb, and I promise I won't do it again. Once I got to the hospital... I was able to get the problem corrected quickly with the fairly minimal, in, minimally invasive procedure. Also, they were able to go in through my wrist and not my groin, which means my recovery will be easier. And yes, for the time being, I'm on blood thinners, so my skin might look a little bit more like a rainbow that I'm used to. But I'm also about to be 53. And this is the first time I've been on prescribed medication for anything other than anxiety, not including antibiotics, of course. The bottom line is, pay attention to what your body is telling you. I know for me, the hardest part was realizing that I am more fragile than I thought. 
You all know how much I hate to appear to be weak. Turns out I'm not weak. I'm just human. I spend so much of my time worrying about everyone else and never really thinking about myself because truly, I thought I was fine. And even when something would happen and, you know, some, I would go through something, it felt so insignificant compared to what everyone else was going through. And I think a lot of people do this. We tell ourselves it's not so bad compared to the things happening around us, or we tell ourselves we'll get to it as soon as things calm down. But please, please don't ignore it, especially if it's something new, if it is not part of your norm. Heartburn isn't a big deal if you know you've indulged in certain foods or drinks that can trigger it. But if it's happening out of nowhere, and not because you've had spicy food, that's something you have to pay attention to. The nurse said that, especially with women, anything you feel from the top of your head to your belly button, including your back, shoulders, and arms, that isn't part of your norm, needs to be looked at or at the very least, mentioned to your doctor. And if it turns out to be something and not nothing, you have so many people in your life who love you, who will be there for you to support you in any way that you need. So don't be afraid to ask for it. So even though it wasn't fun, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure it doesn't happen again, I am so grateful that it happened because it definitely beats the alternative. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 161. Don't forget, like the face. <laughs> How many of you listen all the way to the end just to see if there'll be one week where I'll make it through without messing up? Let's start that again. Join the Facebook group and like the Facebook page. You can follow me on Instagram at my so-called midlife podcast. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen. The second part is the important part. Questions, topic suggestions, email me at my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Love you. Bye.